You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the, you the best. Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Truba, right wing, trying to wind into the slot, lost the puck, comes back to Keandre Miller, high slot, he scores! Quick wrist shot by Keandre Miller, beats Archer Silov's glove side, and it's 5-3 Rangers. I wasn't really nervous, I was like excited, so excited to play, you know. He battled. Yeah, tough spot, but he battled. That's what you want from uh, young goalies. What's a battle? Good morning, Vancouver, 6 o'clock on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the beautiful Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Laughing so hard. I just, I just can imagine someone in the Canucks dressing room asking McTucket, what's a battle? I have a question. Rutherford's like, did that kid just say, what's a battle? <laughs> <laughs> no, he said, what's that rattle? It's the heating ducts. Oh, all right. Uh, makes sense. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, we're off to a flying start here at the Alfred and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. I said good morning to Jason. He was laughing uncontrollably. I now say good morning to you, a dog. Good morning. And good morning to you, laddie. You broke Jason right off the bat. Hello, hello. Big What's sh- a battle? Hey, what is a battle? Did Oliver Eckman Larson just say what's a battle? <laughs> He's hurt. It's not his fault. <laughs> Got hurt battling. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... How busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? Canucks lose. Canucks lose yet again. And surrender five plus goals yet again. Does this feel like the Boudreaux era? I don't know. You tell me. Uh, Artemi Panarin and Mika Zibanejad, two goals and an assist each. And the Canucks lose 6-4 in Arthur Silov's NHL debut. It was not an arty party last night, although he only allowed five of the six goals. Canucks lose yet again. Uh, for the Tankists, it was entertaining, and it was a regulation loss in the end, so I suppose there was a silver lining. But at the end of the day, Jason, uh, the Canucks yet again surrender a whole bunch of goals, this time on home ice. So I don't know if this officially happened last night, but I'm now looking at the goals against for the Canucks, and they are above four in goals against levels. That is some 1980s stuff. Out of For all those people that, you know, the young kids, it was like, well, what was the 80s like? Yep. This is it. The team isn't very good. They're, they're awful defensively. Food didn't I mean, cost We could much. sit there and just be like, I don't know, is um, Sheldon Dries, I don't know, who, who's like Petri Skrico, who's Tony Tanti, sure. who's Patrick Sundstrom, like – I don't know who the Sheldon Drives would be. I can't remember the can't go that far down the depth the, chart. the depth chart of those teams. But like, the, the, it is crazy how many goals the Canucks are conceding. Mm-hmm. Y- yes, the NHL has has more scoring now. That has not stopped the Boston Bruins from having a goals against average of two point one one. So essentially, the Canucks are giving up twice as many goals as the Boston Bruins. Mm-hmm. On it, a nightly basis. And it's not even worth having the argument of 
wow, no goalie could make any saves, you know, with with the defensive environment in, in, in front of them or, you know, the, the defensive environment is bad, but, I mean, this goaltending is, is awful. Like, you're both right. In that imaginary argument I had, like, yes, yes to you. Yep. The well, only person I would argue with is someone who would say, you know what, it's not that bad defensively. That would be wrong. That'd be that would be that would be crazy and, and and delusional. But there are so many reasons why the Canucks are uh, bad defensively. And unless Thatcher Demko, like unless Thatcher Demko returns to the form that he showed last season, and that is like God mode. Yeah, he was making miracle save after miracle save. I don't know how they're going to turn it around. I really don't. In well, order yeah. to be in order to be a good team in a couple of years, because. You've either got to teach these guys how to play defense, which I think you can – in the NHL, you can allow pointers. Like, hey, why don't you try this? But in the NHL, if you're sitting there teaching guys like, you know, like basic defensive zone coverage, mm-hmm. like you're going to have a real tough time. Uh, I think if, if, if you're looking at um, – if you're looking at Rick Tockett to solve everything with just more structure, like yeah, it's going to help. Hopefully that's part of the solution. I think it's needed, but most of the work is if they're going to turn this around in the next year or two, their words, not mine, um, this is going to require massive personnel changes and not only changing out personnel, but bringing in the right players. Yeah, I think if there's a silver lining to what Tockett's trying to do in this vacuum and in this environment, it's that some of the guys that are going to emerge from this are going to realize that they have to play airtight hockey, or maybe they'll just realize and it'll just be a knock-on effect that, remember when we had to play almost perfect mistake-free hockey because our defense and goaltending were so bad. Like, maybe some of that seeps into their game. For example, last night, uh, Thomas Drance in the post-game presser media availability with Tockett astutely pointed out that it might be difficult to try and implement some of the defensive structure and reads and zone pickups when you're just not getting even NHL average yeah. goaltending, right? Like it's almost to the point where you kind of worry about guys being so afraid of making a mistake because they'll end up in the mm-hmm. back of the net. But that doesn't seem to be a problem yet because they're still scoring a lot of goals. We'll play the audio in a sec. But well, go ahead. it's also hard to judge the Canucks sometimes when um, the goals change the momentum of a game. They do. Right? When we talk about score effects. So and analytically, people have been talking about things are looking better for the Canucks defensively. But then you look at the so many games that they've been trailing in, oftentimes because of goaltending, but also because of defensive breakdowns that are still occurring. The other team is going to take their foot off the gas, right? So the Canucks really haven't been tested all that much with a lead. No. Right? So let's see how the analytics look then. Mm-hmm. the defensive analytics, because other teams will be like, hey, guys, we need some goals here. And I'm not talking about versus Chicago or Columbus. And I think those games probably juice the, the whatever you're reading at natural statric as well. I think, and I stand by the fact that there seems to be a different feel to the way the Canucks are playing. I think they're playing a little less uh, risky. But there are still these mistakes that they make that I don't know if the coach can fix because it's more about what kind of player you are. Are you 
good enough yeah. to do what it takes to be a good NHL team, not just play defensively responsible. The good players play defensively responsible, but they're also able to do, you know, push the puck and be offensive. Like they don't have to completely change their games in order to be defensively responsible. So on that note, uh, here now is the head coach, Rick Tockett from last night, when he was asked the question, do the Canucks make it too hard? On their own goalies. Here's what Tocken had to say. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I mean, we, we you know, the way, the way we are built, we can't have turnovers. You know, and you know, PD, he can't turn pucks over, and, and uh, you know, uh, you know, Millsy and Husey, those guys got to, you know, and I think they've done a nice job, um, but they have to continue to to play a style until we get some people back. Um, and play a more north-south style. I mean, you know, we can't get in shootouts, and obviously we're getting shootouts right now, and we just got to weather the storm. You know, just keep keep chipping away. By the way, he does not mean shootouts as in we got through overtime and now we're going to a shootout. He means games in which there are 10-plus goals, and that's almost every night for the Vancouver Canucks. How many north-south players do the Canucks have up front? Uh, they want Pod Colson to be one, and mm-hmm. I think he fits the profile. Yep, I think so, too. Um, some of the fourth-line guys, they... Giuseppe, I, yeah, I've liked what he's brought. Yep, but he's not the answer. I mean, I don't, I don't want him in the top six. I, I don't know if he's gonna on. be on. The, I don't know if he's gonna be on the team next year. Yeah, <laughs> right. I he's, he's but I do, but I do like guy. him, and I actually was a little bit surprised that he didn't get an opportunity with the team earlier. But I'm not going to sit here and have a massive debate about Phil because he's not a difference maker. But but how many guys do they have that are north south players? Dakota Joshua, pretty straight line player. Any high end, north, he, he went, any he went, high he went, end from, north south players? Uh, no, I mean Pod Colson's kind of the mm-hmm. the bar, really. If you're looking at it, and you're at, but the thing is, he has to grow into the role. Yeah, it's not like he got plopped into it. and He's like, wow, he's fantastic at this. There's a potential to be that guy. Like I don't know about you guys, but Anthony Beauvillier to me is just like we've seen wingers like him come through. Anthony Beauvillier can be if he's a if he's on your third line, then you're a good team. If it's anything higher, then you're probably not. That's how I would classify him right now. He's fine. There's nothing wrong with them. Yeah, but I'm just talking about a mix of players. Like, we've already got a bunch of Anthony Beauvilliers here. Yeah, he's a winger. You can see he's got a bit of talent. Maybe put the puck in the net once in a while. He's fat, he kill, yeah. Does he kill penalties? No, he doesn't really do that. He's, he's not the <laughs> – you know? but, yeah, he's he's almost irrelevant to the conversation because – Well, he's not irrelevant because the Canucks have a lot of players like him, and they're going to have to switch that mix out. Right, but he is – he's to me, seems like he is more um, – it's more easy to move around both in the lineup and then move him out because he's not on this really like bloated overpriced ticket and it expires in a year anyway. I mean, the, so he's, the, he's overpriced. Sorry? He's overpriced. Not compared to some of the other guys. <laughs> he's still overpriced. He's For still the Canucks, part of the problem. By the Canucks standards? I'm just, I'm just saying that, like, you know, I think a lot of people when they heard Beauvilliers, you know, the scouting report on him or what people said, you know, I think even the Canucks were like, he's a puck hunter. Like, he'll, he'll get after the puck. I'm like, oh, yeah, when's that going to start? Okay, yeah, I don't. I mean, yeah, we, we differ in opinion on this. I don't. I think he's almost like irrelevant to the conversation because okay. he's played five games. the The bigger story would be. I'm not. It's too early to get into a fight about Anthony Bovilla. Yeah, so. like neither of us are that much invested in it. But to your uh, overarching point, all of the characteristics that Tockett wants to see, and by now, like Sat and Bick were having a good time on the post game show about the Tockett vocabulary and the Tockett dictionary, and uh, North South is moved to the forefront. It's mm-hmm. a very preeminent one. 
Uh, he's talked about uh, predictability, talked about structure, all these sorts of guts things. Guts of the ice. I guts like of that the ice one. is a Protect good one. the guts of the ice. Yep. Um, all of them. What do you think if the Canucks were, if the, like if, if the defensive zone um, was a body, okay. you know, that had guts in it, mm-hmm. what do you think it would look like? Uh, I'm trying to. Just slashed apart. Yeah. <laughs> Just like a horror movie. <laughs> the, the Canucks, the guts, guts of the everywhere. Canucks ice are, are everywhere. Remember that scene in Alien? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in the, supposed yeah, to the be dinner the table. They're not in the middle. <laughs> that happens every night. Yeah. The amount of pretty passing. Oh, no, not again. Yeah. The, the amount of pretty, pretty passing plays that other teams make it against the Canucks is just astounding. Yeah. It must be so much fun to play, though. They do slice and dice the guts pretty good. Like Pan- that I think about P- it. Panarin and, and Zibanejad and, and types of players, like actually East-West players playing the Vancouver Canucks yes. have, a, have a blast, right? And there's always this one-timer available for, for good shooters, and it's like a wide-open net. And you're like, well, maybe you can make a miracle save. Nope. Next game and are like, wow, it's a nice pass. Look at that. Yeah, totally. we, I do. I'm like, wow, that is some nice passing. Yeah. And, and I think the difference last night um, in how the good teams play and how the Canucks play was personified by the fact that it was a really nice individual play that Kuzmenko had. That was the highlight of the game. Right? Yeah, he, was and, good. he was good. No, no, no. But like, it's not necessarily a good thing because you're sitting there going, wow, that was a really nice play. But it was mostly about what he did. Yeah, Connor Garland finished it off, but it was the individual play. He was skating backwards for like five seconds, okay, stick handling. You're missing my it point awesome. here. The other teams, when they play the Vancouver Canucks, have these really pretty passing plays, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, what a team. How many passes was that? Four or five? And then it's in the back of the net. With the Canucks, it's it's, it's almost like individual efforts, individual efforts yeah. rule the day more than team play. Yeah, is I, that fair? Or I think that's a fair assessment of how the team is currently constructed, and I think part of it is something that talk it's looking at and saying, okay, we've got some good guys that are good individual skill guys. They're maybe the East West guys. Let's try and pair them with more direct, simple players, and they don't have them. Exactly. Right? That I mean, that's the great point. That's what Talkit wants, and that's what they need more of. Because mm-hmm. if you have all these East West players making passes to each other along outside the perimeter of the of the guts of the ice, then I don't know how much success you're going to have. Yeah, like Talkit wants uh, <laughs> Talkit wants a dramatically different style than what the the Canucks currently have. It's probably the best way to put it. Is he looks at it and he's like, "There's so many things here that I can teach, but I don't have the guys that are capable or willing to learn it or execute it." Right, and, that, and that's really what it comes down to, and that's why you've got. Again, we hearken back to what these guys have said. That's why Rutherford said it needed major surgery, and that's why Alvin said that this isn't going to be an easy fix when Taka took the job because personnel really matters. I mean, look at what is going on right now. They are um, historically bad in terms of conceding goals. They have one of the worst penalty kills in the modern era. Right now... They are up to, I think it's 224 goals allowed. The only team in the NHL that has allowed more is the Anaheim Ducks. And the Anaheim Ducks, uh, in part, did it because they allowed seven last night to Buffalo. That got them back in, in the lead. Good for them. But that, that's where we're, where we're at with the Canucks right now. Now I'd, I'd have to go back on hockey reference and look at the franchise history because I'm sure there were some really egregious goals allowed totals in the 80s collectively oh, yeah. as a team. Yeah, by the Canucks. Right. But right, <laughs> but right, right now... They are 55, 54 games into 
I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. One of the worst defensive seasons in franchise history. Full stop. Yeah. They are. This is this is horrifically bad by NHL standards. I, I Sometimes I actually take a pause and I'm like, Tockett's been here for nine games. They've allowed four, 41 goals over those nine games. They've allowed six three times mm-hmm. and five three times. Like they, I felt bad because last night Tockett's like, we, we played pretty hard. We battled. We were in there. We scored four goals against a good team. And they still lost. They need a minimum of five goals every night just to get to overtime. Has any team made its coach cry twice in a season? Like different coaches? Like one cries. Bruce Boudreaux was crying. And then, yeah. then they bring in another one. And, and he cries as well. Has that happened before? Because uh, I, I don't think it has. Because I don't, I don't know if it, a team has ever made one coach cry. I think we got to max out at one. When it gets to two, it's like, what's happening right I, now? I want to go into the Dunbar Lumber text line if you have any questions or comments. Text them into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650 Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver, online at DunbarLumber.com. Troy, the bread guy, texts in, isn't this what everyone wants? An unwatchable team hoping for an 85% chance to not draft Bedard. Yeah, Um, like... I I know, hold on a sec, I know Team Team Tank is happy right now. I, I don't want the Canucks to win. Like I want them. I, I, I was like, I, last night was huge. Yeah, I, I, Phoenix won. Arizona rather. Arizona is. Which imagine the Canucks are tied in points. It's brilliant with the Arizona Coyotes. A record-setting night, by the way, for the Coyotes. Uh, it is also pathetic that the Canucks are tied. That's the word with the Arizona Coyotes, <laughs> considering the expectations that both teams came into with this season, which mm-hmm. were wildly different. Um, Hey, listen, I, I want them to improve their draft lottery odds, but I still find myself talking about what's it going to look like next season or the season after that or what are they going to do in the off season? because I hate watching this stuff. Yes. I, I hate watching this hockey, and um, it, it it won't change. Like, if they get Connor Bedard, it's, it's going to be awesome. Like, I will celebrate. I'll party in the streets. But then I'll be like, okay, well, they've still got to fix a bunch of stuff. They'll still right? get scored on a lot. Connor McDavid did not immediately turn around the Edmonton Oilers, and the Edmonton Oilers still have issues. Like, they they lost to Detroit last night, and a lot of it was structurally related. You are not going to go anywhere in the NHL. I don't care who your forwards are without a good defense, a good defensive system, and good defensive players that can go out there and kill the odd penalty. Yeah, I I understand the sentiment, but I'm this is my my credo for the year. Is that this was a wasted year? There was a complete waste of a, unless a they hot, get Bedard, a, and then it wasn't wasted because they got that, Bedard. But that's not that's that's failing upwards. Like I get that that's how the system oh, is that's suppo- how we got the show. I, I it's true, <laughs> you know sometimes it works, but I, I it's a it's very difficult for me. To hang my hat on, ah, we managed to stink so bad that we got a generational talent. When you went into the year with your head coach saying it would be a disaster if you didn't make the playoffs. Yeah, but it wouldn't be a disaster after all. But it's a waste it's still of year. It's, it's still waste embarrassing. It's a waste of year. year but I, I would running. disagree that it's a wasted year if they get Bedard. But of course, the odds are still stacked against. No, them. yeah, for a lottery ticket. I yes. mean, everyone's like, oh, the, you know, you lose and you get Bedard. I'm like, you don't though. I absolutely you agree lose with you. and you get a lottery ticket. I absolutely agree with you 100. percent If they don't get Bedard, it is a wasted season. If they do, so, if they do somehow season. get him though, 
I wouldn't say it's wasted. The sole purpose of doing this is to try and win. Of course. In the, get to the playoffs, then win rounds in playoffs and win a Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. They got so far away from that that halfway through the year, they're in the same position as the Arizona Coyotes, who were not only designed <laughs> to be one of the worst teams in the NHL, they started winning and then they sat down guys that were helping them win. They're like, Chikrin, too good, sit down. Connor Ingram had 47 saves in that game last night. NHL Lord. record. They had a double shutout, shutout, right? Laddie, you must have just been like rock hard about that. I must have <laughs> been the most exciting. I'm sad I didn't wow. sit there and watch. <laughs> anyway. That's a great way to describe yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking, to sit down. Speaking of goaltending, we got a text in here. We are between a rock and a hard place. Demko plays unreal. We get out of the bottom five. If he plays lousy, we don't get a good return for him. Oh, the return could also be that. He returns to the Canucks next season and plays better and goes on to play well. Um, it is actually I, – I, I, I had that question in our prep notes yesterday discussed, do we want Demko to play well for the rest of the season? Because his return is nearing. He's gonna back Sounds up like Saturday. he's going to back up on Saturday. And then he could be in the lineup Tuesday in Nashville, I think, would be the game. At any rate, the, the Canucks still have quite a few games left, and that's going to decide where they are in the draft lottery. And I was sitting there going, like, I want Demko to come back and play better, you know, just in case the you know his just just to up his asset value, and 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 whether that's the asset value on the trade market, I know he hasn't asked out, but you know, I think everything's going to be on the table this off season for the Canucks. Or his asset value just to the Canucks as one of their few really good players. Yep. Right. I, I, so I don't. I don't know. I don't know what I want out of that. He could play well, and the Canucks could still lose. I can fully see that happening. Mm-hmm. But that—that's yeah. what's the problem with the current situation is that there's an inherent understanding that the reason that they're losing with great frequency, and the reason last night happened, was because Arthur Silovs was in that. I mean, he wasn't. He tried his best, right? But how many of those goals probably shouldn't have gone in? There was a bit of Jad one for sure, right? Where he just got opened up like it was a can opener. Well, that was that was clearly the speed not being right. aware of it and the the shiftiness of an NHL, the patience of an NHL shooter that you don't get until you go to the NHL. So but, I, even then, I don't. I'm not going to pin that on him. You you put a young kid in that position. Yeah, right? but that's not the that's put what a I'm lot saying. of goalies down. The, down yeah, and, and you put yeah. him coming up flying that, down the wing. But that's what I'm saying. I also could have seen that goal scored on Spencer Martin with regularity yeah. and Colin Delia. The mm-hmm. difference is going to be. Yeah, my he, reaction was like, "Wow, he came pretty close to saving that." Yeah, yeah, he tried. He tried his best. <laughs> he was out there trying. But when you look at it, you're saying, "Okay, what happens if Demko comes back and plays at a Demko level?" Uh, a silver lining might be you could actually see if Tockett's system works behind a competent NHL goalie, so there's something to take away from this otherwise wasted season. And you could say, okay, moving forward, we know what we've got there. And there, I mean, in net. Because really, you've got, I don't know, five or six pieces moving forward that I think you could definitively pencil into the lineup. Not because of their contractual anchorness, mm-hmm. but because talk, it's probably like, that's a guy that I can win with, or at the very least, that's a guy I can play with. The rest of it is all really up for grabs. Like, that blue line could and should look fundamentally different moving forward next year if they are really true about major surgery and trying to get back on a competitive track. Because it's not good enough. Mm -hmm. And the forward group, by and large, at times, 
and I don't want to say isn't good enough, but it's not it's not comprised of the right pieces. Clearly. Not even close. Right? The, mix, the mix is way off. When Tockett is saying, like, we, you know, we don't have the right guys to kill pe- penalties, essentially, because he doesn't want his top guys doing it, mm-hmm. and the bottom guys don't do a good job of it. And when he's saying that they have to groom Pod Colson into being a, the, one of the rare north-south forwards on the team, that's him saying, this team was constructed in the wrong way. Not in the way that I can win hockey games or the way you want me to win hockey games. And so... The dance continues. They've got another chance at it Saturday against the Flyers. Uh, we'll come back from break here, take a quick timeout. We can continue this conversation. Uh, we can get into a bunch of the stories from around the NHL last night. There were some pretty interesting stories. That wild card chase in the West might come down to who sucks less because Calgary isn't very good mm. and Minnesota isn't very good either right now. They're losing games left and right, both teams. Do you consider Nashville still part of the conversation there? I guess I have to because Calgary and Minnesota won't finish them. Mm-hmm. Like Nashville isn't like lighting the world on fire, but they're kind of hanging around that five, four points out I, window. I, I kept the receipts on my conversation with Wish preseason when he pretty much wrote in the Nashville Predators to a playoff spot. Hell, he might be right now. They might just be like, wouldn't keep those receipts anywhere clear. But yeah, I know what you're saying. Like yeah. they're not in it, but they're also not out of it. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple google spotify or wherever you get your podcasts you're listening to the best of the day halford and bruff tries left wing for kuzmenko going to the goal in tight hit the goal post rebound for gerland he scores is a power play goal but Connor Garland gets the Canucks within one scoring his 11th of the season 803 on a Thursday happy Thursday everybody Halford Bruff Sportsnet 650 Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today hour three of the program Soon to be underway. I mean, actually, it's underway, but it really gets underway when Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff joins us. The dogs are trying to track him down. I will tell you that if and when we get Frank to kick off our three, it will be brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. Finally, Jason, uh, you need, you must tell the people about Kintech who do footwear and orthotics. We're coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. While we're waiting for Frank, is that right? Dogs nod in the affirmative. We're waiting for Frank right now. Is that correct? Yes, we are waiting. Um, pass along some news. Oh, he's ready. Oh, terrific. Okay, never mind. That's a cliffhanger. You'll have to wait and see what that news is for what we learned. Uh, let's go to the phone lines now. Joined by Daily Faceoffs, Frank Saravalli here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Frank. How are you? Hello, boys. I'm good. How are you? Well, we're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this, as always. Look, it's some sort of like cosmic alignment here that on a day where we talked a lot about the Turtle Derby that is the Western Conference wild card right now, especially with mm-hmm. Seattle, or sorry, not Seattle, Calgary and Minnesota kind of inching their way, losing their way to that final spot. 
Uh, you have content up at Daily Faceoff about both teams. Let's start with Calgary. I know you did the podcast with um, Nazem Kadri recently, and you left it with one of those, if Calgary's going to make the playoffs, you guys need to do what? Uh, talk to me about the conversation with Kadri. Obviously, there's a lot with him, given this is his first year in Calgary, and it hasn't really gone according to plan for the Flames, who are on the fringes of that playoff chase. Uh, how is Kadri feeling about his first year in Calgary? I, I think he's you know, generally positive about where they're heading. It's just this year has been such a weird year. Um, And that quote sort of really caught me off guard, which was if the Calgary Flames will make the playoffs if, and he said, we play more like a team. And I don't know what exactly that means. It was the last question to wrap the interview. So I I didn't have a (laughs) chance to follow and and he had to run. Uh, But I would have loved to have dug in further because I think it makes some sense when you look at the collection of talent that's assembled, a lot of people look at that roster on paper, and particularly if Jacob Markstrom is playing up to snuff, they look at that team and say, that's one that could actually do some damage. And this year has been a lot of ups and downs, a lot of nights where the Flames have shot themselves in the foot. I'd love to do a calculation on what exactly the Flames positioning would be in the standings if Jacob Markstrom just played close to the level that he was at last season. My guess is the impact is somewhere between 8 and 12 points in the standings. That would be first place in the Pacific in this turtle race that you're talking about. So um, there's a lot that's gone wrong. Um, Some has gone right, and when you watch them, they actually pass the eye test on most nights. But at the end, the results are all that really matter. So no sense, you know, belly aching about that. That would be like crying about a holding call in the fourth quarter of a Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> well played. So to me, uh, the Flames have a really interesting position at the deadline because they probably should be adding. I just don't know how big of a swing they're going to take because I think they're a cautious buyer at this point. That's probably the right way to classify it because there's no evidence this year that they've ever come really close to either putting it together or figuring it all out. I think the stat is that they don't have anything longer than a three-game winning streak this year. Like Every time that you think, oh, they might have figured it out or, oh, they're ready to go on a heater – they either have a really bad loss or a really bad goaltending. Or a brutal rebound. Right? It's always something. And I and it, the weird the it, adding to the weirdness is that Daryl Sutter is always like complimentary of their play. Like they blow that game in Ottawa the other night, and his remarks are like, "We were dominant out there. We just kind of ran out of gas." It just seems they didn't like, allow a shot against for sixteen minutes. Yeah, like his his assessment wasn't wrong, but it's you come off the ice and you blow that kind of lead and you blow that kind of opportunity. And you'd think that there would be a little bit more fire in the belly or angst or something, but it's just almost like the pieces don't quite fit yet. And Sutter's cognizant of that. And maybe that's why he's intentionally not trying to push any panic buttons. I don't know. I'm searching for answers here. Like I'm sure the flames are, but it just seems like it's not happening for them and it might not, which is why they should be cautious buyers. Right. And so that's, I think what they're trying to determine over these next 15 days is, you know, we'd like to do something, but we're probably not going to be expending much future assets to do it. Uh, Brock Besser, we've heard his name linked to the Calgary Flames. Are you hearing anything about that or anything with regards to Brock Besser? I am actually. Um, as I've continued to make my calls around the league, I'm told that uh, we do have a little bit of clarity in the sense that I'm told the Canucks are willing to entertain the idea of retaining salary on Besser. 
And so that's sort of been that question mark that everyone's been curious about. Uh, you know, will they do it? I, I don't think it'll be a ton. I mm-hmm. think it, you know, it's probably in the million dollar range, give or take a couple bucks. And that makes sense because he's not that far overpaid. It's just the term is the consideration. So we know they need to create salary cap flexibility. I think they're really antsy to do it and do it before the deadline and retaining a small amount on Besser is one way to do it. So I'm told from teams that have talked to them that that is the the path that they are willing to consider for the right deal. So for that consideration, what's in it for the Canucks? A better return, whether it's, I don't know what kind of range they're talking in. My guess is he's probably as currently constituted somewhere in the neighborhood of a third round pick and maybe retaining gets you into the second. I, I don't think he's in the first round pick territory. Right. There must be a feeling out there though, that there's something worth salvaging because those GMs watched Brock Besser a few years ago when he was a, when he was a rookie of the year finalist and, and they've watched him and it, it wasn't just a flash in the pan. Yeah. He's had injury issues. Um, like most goal scorers, there are times where he's not scoring goals. But I just wonder if um, there are some GMs that look at the Vancouver Canucks roster and see players that in a more positive environment might be due for a, a bounce back. Well, I think that's definitely the case. The thing is they're not going to pay a ton to find out. Like they're willing to take a chance. But I, you know, they're not going to go nuts to do it. And that's probably fair. I mean, here's the thing. We all kind of viewed Brock Besser as a, as a goal scorer with the 29 that he scored in, in that rookie year. And you're thinking, okay, this guy is really going to be an elite, you know, sort of shot threat. But the odd thing is sort of the way that his career has unfolded He's he's got way more assists this year than he has goals. Some you could make the argument, you know, he's just having a down shooting percentage year, although he's had one of these previously going back to just before the pandemic. He still has 35 points in 47 games. Like that's still a 61 point pace over a full 82 game season. And so there is something there. There is some value there. It's just that no one would if you know, if Brock Besser were to hit the open market this summer, no one would be signing him to a two-year, $6.65 million deal. And that's where the hang-up is. Okay, so sticking with this Besser thing and the, following the news that the Canucks are now willing to entertain the idea of retaining salary, does this make a move to Minnesota any more likely? Because Minnesota's, like we said, another one of those teams, you've identified them as a cautious buyer. I was reading a bunch of Russo stuff on The Athletic talking about how if the Wild don't shake things up quickly, it's going to be too late. God, I'm even seeing like JVR to Minnesota type deals. So in that regard, Besser seems to make sense. Does this new news change anything on that front with him to potentially Minnesota? I don't think so. I, I, and I think the big reason why is the term factor. That That's one team that is actually in the market for rentals, not players with term, because they've got the Boldy extension kicking in. The Parise and Suter buyouts ratchet up to 14.7 from the 12 that they're at, and they just don't have the room to take on that type of player. If they were willing to to pay a winger, it, they would have just paid Kevin Fiala a year ago and done that rather than go down this road with Brock Besser. So I think a lot of people have 
raise that possibility because he's from Minnesota, because his agent is from Minnesota, and his agent has a few players on the wild. But I don't think it's anything more than that. Um, and I, I would say it's the the rental factor is one. But I would there are teams out there that we know prefer term over over rental. That if they're going to expend the assets that they'd like to do it, I think one team that's you know kicking the tires. And I hate to bring it up because I think everyone draws the line between Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine and their former team. But the Penguins, I think, are are intrigued by Besser um, for a lot of the same reasons I just mentioned, but from a term perspective, because they do have money coming off the books and they don't want to go push a lot of assets forward for just this season that they have the ability to, to, you know, add in the summer that Besser might be one of those types of additions. And he went to North Dakota. They're familiar with the North Dakota program and watched him closely there. Um, I think there's a lot of links there that make sense. Um, what do you think the Vegas? Golden- I want to add one thing. Okay, too. I go, had one go. other piece of uh, sure. Canucks info. Um, you will see a Nils Hoaglander on my trade targets board today as well. Mm-hmm. Um, here's the thing. I don't think anything's imminent, and I still think at the end of the day, it's probably a long shot that the Canucks move Hoaglander, but I do know from talking to teams that there's there's certainly interest there, and that basically the way the Canucks have framed their conversation to other managers has been... What are, tell us what you're interested in. Like, Let's have a conversation, because we're willing to consider lots of different things. So that's... Um, you know, he's one player that has certainly generated some buzz. I just don't know what sense it would make for the Canucks to go down that path now, um, given that they're looking for NHL ready players or close to NHL ready players under the age of 25. Like you have one on your hands. Uh, Why not find out more information before, you know, pulling the trigger before the deadline. But nonetheless, I think it's important to point out that Teams are intrigued and interested, in, and that's why he ends up on the board. Well, we kind of had this conversation yesterday with Vince Mercogliano, who covers the New York Rangers, and he threw out the name of Kravtsov as a possible return for Nils Hoaglander. I, I think he was just speculating, but maybe he'd he'd heard something too as well. Um, is that the type of trade? That wasn't the team I heard, by the way. Okay. Who'd you hear for him? Just tell me. Well, just I, tell I me on, tell the, on the radio right I, now. Tell me on the radio. Yeah, I know. It's, it's not like anyone's listening. I, you know Taj is like sitting there right at your his source? keyboard. Just, he's, he's ready to just tweet this out. So I can't I can't give Taj the goods. That's Halford and Bruff's version of investigative journalism is you get someone on the air in front of the public yeah. and then he's like, just, just tell me. Just, just, just radio yourself, Frank. Just do it. Why do you have such disdain for our listeners, Frank? Just just tell them the information. I, I just can't betray anyone. I can't betray the team that told me. So oh, come I on. Just, just once. Just once. No, no. Okay. I, I'd love uh, Maybe I will after. after the <laughs> uh, Frank, I was going to ask you actually about – thank you for that information about Nils Hoglander, by the way. Uh, I, I was going to ask you about the Vegas Golden Knights and what you think they're going to do because – it's funny, we were talking about the um, Western Conference as a bit like the NFC uh, in football this year where everyone like that made the playoffs, and this maybe disrespected the Eagles and how dominant they were, but before the playoffs started, everyone would be like, man, we got a chance here. Like, there's There's not a lot of great teams here. And I'm just thinking of Vegas right now. I realize 
they're, they have cap situation there, but has there been any talk of putting Mark Stone on LTIR and then using that cap space to improve the team? And then maybe Mark Stone is miraculously healthy for the playoffs. Yes, uh, there has been. Um, I think they would wait until they actually are ready to pull the trigger before doing that uh, on a trade because there's no reason to right now. Um, the fact that the Golden Knights and Bruce Cassidy said we hope to have him back at some point in the playoffs would lead me to believe that they actually aren't even sure that the playoffs are a possibility. Um, they've uh, this has clearly been shrouded in secrecy, but they do have nine and a quarter million dollars to play with. Here's the only thing. As aggressive as the Golden Knights typically have been and want to be, I would bet that every other team in the West views the Golden Knights as just another one of those teams at this point because they've lost their emotional leader in Mark Stone, the guy that drags them into the fight and is such a talented 200-foot player, and their goaltender is down in Logan Thompson that they, it just, they further view the Pacific Division and the West as wide open because Vegas is just any one of those other teams. Frank, this was great today, man. A lot of information packed into this one. So thanks a lot for doing this. We really appreciate it. It'll be lots to chew on in the coming days. Uh, enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next week. Have a good one, guys. YouTube, thanks. Uh, that's Frank Sorelli, Daily Faceoff's very own here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. So uh, interesting reports are a little bit of traction, a little bit of movement perhaps on the Brock Besser front. I imagine that Ben Hankinson. I didn't know that Ben Hankinson played in the NHL. Did I didn't you know, know that? that either. Yeah. It was on Twitter last night. I saw on the old TL. I thought he played for the Packers. No, that's not who he played for. That's a football team. Uh, he, on the timeline, I guess I follow him. I didn't even know that. Uh, up popped a video of his first ever NHL goal. He scored with the Devils. Oh, cool. I had no idea. So there you go. Anyway. 43 games. I had no idea. I had no yeah. idea. It was a time in my life where I just wasn't paying attention to Ben Hankinson, I suppose. But now I am because he's one of the guys. Although Patrick Alvin won't admit it, he's one of the guys that's trying to orchestrate this trade for his client, Brock Besser. Uh, so what I learned, because it's time for what we learn now. Yes. Good segue. Uh, what I learned is that Diener, a regular texture, is very upset with Frank Saravalli. trying to calm him down. Yeah, sometimes we need to just like send, oh, you need to calm down because people just get off on these texting rants. And Diener is upset with Frank Saravalli's, um, I don't know if it's an opinion or he's upset that, that, that Frank said that Brock Besser is only worth like a second round pick if the Canucks retain. Um, and I just wonder um, to the listeners, like, what do you guys think Brock Besser is worth? This is not a guy whose stock is up. And he's faced a number of injury issues. He's got a cap hit over $6 million. So even if the Canucks retain a little bit, let's say they retain enough to get that cap hit down to $5 million or 4.5, wingers are not valuable assets right now. The Canucks have a bunch of them, but they're stuck with these wingers. I think Brock Besser can turn it around. I think in a better situation, a more positive situation, maybe one where he has a bigger role in the power play, he can turn it around and get back to being, a, I don't know, a 25-goal scorer. But there's a lot of ifs there. And right now, other GMs are looking at the Canucks and going, they're screwed. They're in a bad situation right now. I'm not throwing them a lifeline here. 
I might try and get get a good player in Brock Besser or, or a good bet to bounce back on a deal just because I know how desperate they are to move out salary and to remix this roster. Mm-hmm. But the Canucks are in a bad spot right now. The, 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 like Brock Besser, what do you think? What do you think? If you were another GM, put yourselves in the shoes of, of, of another GM and keep in mind that a lot of other GMs have the same salary cap issues that the Canucks, or at the very least, they have cap restrictions. What would you give up for Brock Besser at, say, a cap hit of $5 million? Third-round pick, maybe a second. Yeah, would you give up a first? No. Would you give up a first-round draft any, pick for this guy? Is like he is not. Is anyone suggesting that? Well, Diener is. Oh, is he? He's very upset. We're talking about uni pizza ovens now. I kind of got him off the uh, Brock Besser angst. Oh, that's good. Sometimes yeah. you just have to distract Diener. That calmed like, him down real fast. Yeah, he was the one, pizza. Yeah, he yeah, was the one. Like, that, pizza. He, so what, I, a long time ago <laughs> on this show, someone, it was an Ask Us Anything, and someone wrote in about what's the best pizza place in Vancouver. And we were running through them, and I'm like, it's AJ's Pizza. No questions about it. It's the best. And then Diener was the one that said, forget all that. Go get yourself an uni pizza oven, and you – can make the best pizza in the city. So, is an uni pizza oven? This is this is something you keep in your kitchen. No, or is it is it out back? It's got to be an outdoors thing. It's an out, it, is it, it big? Uh, no, it's actually quite compact and quite small. Mm-hmm. But you need uh, propane, so you shouldn't be cooking with propane mm-hmm. indoors, really. What do you do for dough? Do you make your own dough, or do you get the frozen dough that you can? That's actually quite good. I've had some I've frozen. Done, I've done all three. We yeah, made it. Mm-hmm. Uh, purchase frozen, purchase fresh. Right. Um, it's a, so you can purchase the dough like someone else's. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a very. Where do you get that? Uh, any of the go up in the heights where I live, the big on Hastings, the Bernie right. Heights area, and any one of the He's nine thousand nine thousand yeah, okay. Italian delis and or bakeries that are right. along the way. Fortuna does a nice one. Chofis does a nice one. Anyway, I feel the, like Moj would have a dough guy. He was like, Moj has a, a good dough, dough guy. guy. You need some dough. I can get hey, some dough. Hey, shout out to Tony. Yeah, Moj has a Moj <laughs> He's has, my dough guy. Moj has multiple dough guys. He has dueling <laughs> dough guys. Uni stock just went up with the uh, Delicio going out of business. Yeah, well, it's so it is a it's a mini pizza oven that replicates the the heat. I want to be clear here. You know the wood wood burning fire pizza ovens that get up to like nine hundred degrees, right? Mm-hmm. But at those temperatures. <laughs> It's a delicate bastard, let me tell you, because <laughs> you have to be on, you can't let it sit. You know how with grilling, it's like, don't fiddle with the meat. There's got to be a better way to say that. Don't fiddle with the meat. Right. Just let it cook. Mm-hmm. This is almost the exact opposite. Like, you have to be constantly turning the pizza. You got to fiddle with the meat. You got to fiddle with the meat, like, repeatedly, because, honestly, five seconds too long, your pizza's burnt. And then you got to fold it in half and try and pretend like you were trying to make a calzone. Here's a question for you. No one believes you. it. They know you just screwed up the pizza. What? With, with your, your don't fiddle with the meat. Do you have a meat thermometer? I do. Yeah. Does, does a, it help a lot? It's called a meter. Do you have a meter? Someone else was talking about a meter. And it, yep. does it connect to your phone or something like that? That's right. Bluetooth, internal temp, 165. Right. Yeah, I think yeah. I need one of those because I'm constantly cutting into this. I don't trust myself. Like with the, You cut I, into it, but then it, you let all the delicious juices I know, get out. Right? That's a your problem. Your meter's Bluetooth enabled? Yes. Ours just well, it's cheaper than stick it in and it just tells you what I have the, one of those too. Oh, wow. Those are for peasants. Futuristic. <laughs> those are for it's peasants. It's cheaper to do Bluetooth because <laughs> you don't need a screen or anything. I got up my steak game though. Um, you Okay, if you really want to go... Uh, full, and I don't think you're ready for this yet, young pot, young man. You're not ready for this yet, but um, get a sous vide and do a bunch of like steak and stuff in a sous vide. You need what, what is that? I don't even know what that is. A vacuum sealed bag 
and then dropped into water, right. and then the water rolls at a certain temperature. Mm-hmm. It takes forever to cook, and then the meat will come out, and it'll from the outside it'll look awful. It'll mm-hmm. look gray because it's you have to sear the outsides of it. But you can get the most unbelievably uh, balanced color throughout a steak. Oh, I like that. Because you know when you sear a steak, yeah. you get just the, the pink is in the inside of the mm-hmm. steak. It goes. To, it's unbelievable how well you can cook it, but you need an incredible amount of time I and have patience. Time. Okay, well, there you go. Get a sous vide. Okay. He's got nothing yeah. to do after about 9 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go home and yeah. make a steak. But yeah. that's what you can do because you need hours and hours to let it roll in this sort of like warm bath water. So, I, so d- d- That's d- also Bluetooth. Really enabled. selling it. Does the, the bath does, water? What's is it Bluetooth called? Enabled? A sous vide. So sous vide. the sous vide, like the part, the pot that you put it in, is part of it. So the sous vide is just an instrument that you stick in the pot to maintain that even uh, water temperature. Oh, I see. Okay. You know, so it's not you're so not do you like boil water basically. Or? Essentially, but it's like not quite boiling. Okay. I, I, it, but you need to have a vacuum sealer as well mm. to make sure there's no air in the bag. Do you think we talked about it enough to get a free one? Can I get one? <laughs> Inkbird, I think, makes one. How about we bring one into the studio and you do it live on air? Ooh. The show doesn't run that long. You need hours and hours we'll, to do we'll it. We'll ask Cam to extend the show by several hours. <laughs> <laughs> Trade deadline. Trade yeah. deadline, Dad. There we go. You know, we're not going to have anything to talk about anyway. It's yeah. like, here's Halford sous-viding a chicken breast. I'm telling yeah. you, people love it. Uh, well, there's a lot. This is when I like the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket. Because there were some people this morning that said that we were bringing them down. Right? It was a lot of tough talk about the Vancouver Canucks early in the morning. Right, We weren't super optimistic. We weren't super positive. Yeah, it's weird. Wonder why. Now we're connecting to the people on a human level, a sous vide level. Everyone loves steak. Well, and pizza. I guess not vegans, but <laughs> <laughs> other than them, everyone else loves steak. Attaboy, Andy. <laughs> this is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.